F1 2023 has begun and the teams headed out to Bahrain for the season opener. Who faltered? Who flew? And will we have a new championship contender? Get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syra, and today we're going to be talking about the 2023 Bahrain Grand Prix. It was the first race weekend of 2023 and I have missed it so, so much. Not just the race itself, but everything leading up to it. Media day, the practice sessions, quali, the entire build-up is what makes watching the race just so amazing for me. So that being said, let's start off with talking about the practice sessions. The race weekend had started off with the news actually that Lance Stroll was going to be racing in Bahrain. He had had medical checks done after being in an accident during the preseason on his bike and the FA had signed off on him being able to come back and to race so he flew out to Bahrain after missing the three days of testing. With that in mind, he was a driver that was definitely going to need that time on track, but FP1 didn't exactly go smoothly for him. He ended up spending a fair bit of time in the garage since his ignition wasn't working, which just must have been so frustrating for him. On top of that, you could tell there was still some discomfort in his wrists. There were radio messages between him and his engineer and his engineer was basically giving him advice on the things he could do that would improve his lap time and Lance was like, look, I just can't do this, my wrists won't let me. Even though he knew it would improve his lap time, he just didn't have that give with his wrists and turning the steering wheel in a way that would actually improve those times for him. I don't know, do I think he would have benefited from another week off? Well, actually, it would be two weeks by the time the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix comes around. Definitely. By the time the race came around on Sunday, it would have only have been two weeks since he had come out of surgery for his wrists. And that seems insane to me. To be racing a car for 57 laps under that amount of pressure, insane amounts of G-force, working the steering wheel as much as you have to, because an F1 steering wheel takes so much more effort to turn. I don't know, guys. That just, it seems like a lot to handle. I mean, let's be honest here. For the day-to-day person, I don't think a doctor would recommend for you to do anything like that coming out of surgery. But athletes don't exactly do well at being told they can't compete and that they should sit back and rest. No athlete wants to do that. They want to be out there and they want to be competing. Honestly though, I do wish someone, anyone, would have just gotten him to take this week off. I just think it's going to benefit him a lot more in the long run to have healed and recovered and had those extra two weeks than pushing himself to get back in the car this quickly. I just really hope overall that he isn't prolonging his recovery time by doing this or causing any further injury. But of course, it was lovely seeing him back in the paddock at the same time. The Aston in general seemed like the strong car that it was during testing. Alonso seemed to be extracting the most out of that car compared to Lance and 
I wasn't really expecting Lance to be close to him right now in the season, considering that he has two injured wrists and missed out on three days worth of testing. But I think both drivers had pretty strong practice sessions. There is one thing that I saw in testing that I absolutely have to mention, because I saw a really interesting rear wing from Ferrari. They basically tried to run a single beam rear wing during FP1. And let's just say, it wasn't the most stable. I have never seen a rear wing wobble side to side so much before. I don't exactly think it's what Ferrari wanted it to do, because aerodynamically, that must be a nightmare to deal with. They did though end up switching back to the double beam rear wing, which is a lot more stable for them and did the job a lot better didn't wobble from side to side, which is always good news. But I am going to be interested to see if it's something that does make a comeback later on in the season. Maybe they'll go back to Marinello with any of the data they've collected on it to try and figure what's going on there. I don't think we're going to necessarily see the return of a wobbly rear wing, but maybe a single beam rear wing instead. But it was definitely an interesting sight to see. I wasn't expecting practice to be the most interesting thing though, mainly because I think a lot of them were still trying to hide what the car was capable of, a lot of the teams still weren't running at full capacity and full pelt, so there wasn't a whole load to glean from practice. Quali though was when we really got into it. I legit forgot how nervous I get before a quali session. Like, It's not as nervous as I get before a race start because I know that there's less of a chance of crashes and things like that happening in quali, but honestly, first quali of the season and I just wanted to know where the drivers and teams were going to actually end up. And the results? Well, they weren't completely surprising to be honest. Ferrari had definitely been holding back a little during practice and we saw them have that quali pace that we hadn't seen during testing all the free practice sessions. They were way more competitive from pole than what they had let on, but by the sounds of it, I'm not even sure Charles had fully expected them to be able to try and compete for pole position. So I don't know whether they were sandbagging beforehand or whether they just genuinely didn't know what the pace was going to be like when the engine modes went up. They managed to lock out the second row, which is a really solid result for Ferrari. Both of the drivers, though, had a pretty tricky start to quali. I mean, they had started by going out on the mediums, and I can't lie, I did have to do a double take when I saw that come up on the app. But when I thought about it, it did make some more sense. I think Ferrari had a lot of faith in their lap time, or at least some hope that they would be able to make it into the top 15 with their mediums and then save a set of extra softs for either later on in quality or for the race. But let's be honest, Q1 ended up being a little bit of a mess for Ferrari. Charles started his fast lap, and we immediately saw a part of his car come flying off. So after that, and then locking up into turn one, he completely abandoned that lap and came into the pits. And then a little while after, the debris that came off of his car caused a red flag, and the session stopped with 13 minutes left on the clock. 
Carlos managed to get a lap time in before that red flag, but that ended up being deleted since he had a track limits violation. And that was the last we saw of the medium tyres from Ferrari. It must have been a little bit gutting for them though, to not really get to run those medium tyres properly and the way they probably wanted it to, but the rest of Quali did go a fair bit better for them. They looked like they were in a fight for pole, which seemed to surprise even Charles, as well as some of the rest of us, but once again, I can't lie, Ferrari looked like it had a really strong car for one lap pace, and they managed to get a second row lockout. Also, a quick shout out to Charles and the Ferrari strategy department. He did one fast lap in Q3, and then got out of the car, and I can't lie, it made me panic a little bit. I thought there was something wrong with the car and that was why he wasn't able to do another lap. But Charles basically said afterwards that he wanted to keep a fresh set of softs for the race start to give him a little bit more of an advantage and he didn't think he was going to improve on his time anyway. So he had asked if he could leave the car and Ferrari agreed. They thought it would be a good decision and left him to it. Who would have thought that in 2023 we would see some decent strategy calls from Ferrari. We have dreamed of days like this, people. Elsewhere in Quali, though, we had an absolutely phenomenal performance from Nico Hülkenberg in the Haas. He managed to get that car into Q3, didn't set time, but still started from 10th on the grid. It was kind of reminiscent of Kevin's comeback last year for me, but the Haas is not an easy car to get a read on in quality since Kevin ended up qualifying in 17th this year. I think I'm gonna have to see Haas in a few more quality sessions to see what's going on there and how that car actually does with one lap pace. Pierre did not have the best of qualities and when you compare it to Esteban who ended up in 8th, that Alpine definitely has some performance in it, but Pierre ended up in 20th. He had a lap time deleted though and he said himself after qualifying that there's some work to do for him. I think more than anything it's just getting used to the car. He's driven an Alfa Tauri for years now and he almost has to unlearn what he's known for so long and try and gel with a brand new car philosophy. So I definitely think we're going to be seeing better qualities from him. And then, to absolutely no surprise, Red Bull managed a front row lockout. I mean, was anyone really surprised by this? Q1 was a little leery for them though and it left me with a couple of questions since we had Checo in P10 and Max in P7. What I think was the issue for them though is that they had come out on a set of soft new tyres and had put a heat cycle through them on a solar and then the red flag came out, so their tyres weren't in an optimal condition when they went out again, they had two slow laps on them before they were actually able to do a fast lap. After that though, Q2 and Q3 were a lot stronger for them, and they ended up being the only two drivers in Q3, with qualifying times in the 129s. Other than that though, Alonso managed to get in between the Ferraris and the Mercedes, which I'm sure was a really welcome sight to him and the Aston Martin garage. But what was slightly gutting for me was the fact that not a single one of the rookies managed to make it out of Q1. And don't get me wrong, it's not exactly surprising. 
F1 quality is different to the lower formulas and FE quality and they were still getting used to the cars at this point, but it definitely would have been great to see at least one of them manage to make it into Q2. Logan Sargent was on the cusp of that to be fair to him. He set the exact same time as Lando in Q1, but since Lando set the time first, Logan was eliminated. And I think that just about sums up the main points of quality. Mercedes seem on the back foot a little bit and the midfield, it's being the midfield. We've got a bit of a mixed up grid there. There are cars managing to get through that I didn't think would and it's been pretty exciting there. But now let's move on to the main event, the race. We didn't even need to wait for Lights Out to get some news. The FIA documents started to get released about any changes that were made during Park Fermi, and to the panic of Tafosi and Charles fans everywhere, those documents said that Ferrari had replaced both the energy store and the control electronics for the race. Now, as far as I know, the energy store was a precautionary measure for Ferrari. With the control electronics, I'm not so sure about, but it was probably the same reason. I feel like if there was a bigger issue, I would have heard about it, I would have seen something, but as far as I know, I think it was just precautionary as well. But this isn't the end of the world, right? Because Charles hasn't gone over the allowance, so it means that he wouldn't be getting a penalty and would still be starting from third on the grid. Great, right? Wonderful. No, the concern for me came in when I found out that you're only allowed two energy stores and two control electronic replacements throughout the entire season. So, within the very first race of a 23 race season, Charles has already gone through half of his allowance for those two components. And I don't know what to say about that, guys. If it is precautionary, I'm hoping that they can just go into a pool and they can be reused again if they're fine. But if they can't do that or they're not allowed to, then the likelihood is we're going to be seeing this man ending up with some penalties for those parts at some point in the season. So, I can't lie, that wasn't the best start to the race day for me. But you know what? Bahrain started off pretty tame for me at Lights Out. After winter break, months of these guys not racing, I thought it might be a little messy coming off the line and getting to the first corner, but surprisingly, everyone was pretty well behaved. There was a little bit of contact with Lance and Alonso during the first lap, but it was nothing major. For a minute, Crofty and Martin were concerned that Fernando might have had a puncture, but he was all good. So yeah, way more well-behaved than I had been expecting, especially watching the feeder series. I thought there might be a little bit more drama, but thankfully everyone was really safe coming into that first corner. But in general though, guys, I have to be honest, the Bahrain Grand Prix did not excite me. For the first race of the season, the first race of the year, it just gave me nothing. Okay, maybe nothing is a little bit harsh, but it wasn't the most exciting race that I've seen. The first part of the race just felt so slow. We had all the drivers, bar Kevin, on soft tyres, but the track at Bahrain is so abrasive and correct your tyres so quickly 
that a lot of the drivers seem to be focusing on tyre management more than overtaking and attacking. They just wanted to make sure they could make it to the pit window for the soft tyres with no major problems. So I don't know whether that's why they were a bit more conservative in terms of overtaking and with their lap times, but it was a pretty slow start. I thought the racing might get a little bit better when everyone swapped onto the hard tyres because they're a little bit more durable, but once again, a lot of tyre management for the teams, a lot of drivers just wanting to keep the right lap times and make sure that they didn't have to pit too early or that they could just make it to the end of the race. We did have some great battles though, it wasn't all processional, but most of them ended up coming from Fernando, or at least the most that Sky showed me came from him. And considering that tyre degradation didn't seem to be an issue for Aston during testing, and that they had the pace to catch up with the drivers that were in front of them, I wasn't surprised at all by this. I knew that Aston was going to be fast this weekend, and I had a feeling that they were going to end up in front of the Mercedes, but what I hadn't expected was for Fernando to be able to get past the Ferrari of Carlos Sainz. I didn't think they would have the pace for that, honestly, and I know some people did think that would be the case, but I was definitely in the camp of in front of Mercedes, but still behind Ferrari. But, I mean, when Fernando was closing up to Carlos towards the end of the race, and Carlos's race engineer got on the radio to tell him to defend, Fernando's behind you, keep your position, you've got this, Carlos had said that it was basically going to be a toss-up between him either losing his place to Fernando and keeping the tyres in a good enough window that he wouldn't have to pit, or him trying to defend and then not being able to make it to the end of the race on his set of tyres. I think Carlos made the right decision there. Fernando would have just kept going for that overtake if he didn't get it on the first try. That was just going to end up wearing out Carlos's tyres even more, and potentially lost him even more places rather than just the one. Like I mentioned in my last episode though, where I spoke about pre-season testing, that Ferrari tyre wear is going to be causing some problems for the team during races and I hope it's something that they can figure out pretty soon. Fernando just had an electric race though and he just gave me the battles that I wanted to see on track. Racing gets boring when it's so processional. You want to see drivers attacking and defending and seeing Fernando on the attack with George, Lewis, Carlos... Lance Stroll right at the start when they bumped into each other. That's what makes racing exciting to me. These were hard fought battles as well. They weren't places that Fernando could just get on the first try for most of them. He was having to fight and we were seeing good defence and we were seeing drivers fight back. And those were the parts of the race that I really tuned into and wanted to watch. Everything else, it was just a bit dull. I mean, Let's be honest, the front of the field is pretty boring to watch at times. The gaps between the drivers are just so big, you don't get any interest in action there. We barely actually see them, the cameras don't actually cut to them because there's nothing to really watch. And that's not just between teams, that's not just me saying, oh, between Red Bull and Ferrari there's a massive gap. It's between teammates. Max flew off the line at the start of the race and didn't really need to look over his shoulder after that. And Checo just wasn't able to keep up with that pace that Max was setting. It was the same story really when we looked at both of the Ferraris. 
Charles was running ahead before his DNF, which I will get into, and Carlos didn't seem to be anywhere near him. The midfield battle, though, guys, I love the fact that the cars are generally a fair bit closer to each other, but I want to see that across the entire field, not just at the midfield. And there's just no competition at the front. It's so processional. Except for that first lap where we might get one or two overtakes coming off the line, there's nothing there after that. I want more interest in action up there. There has to be someone other than Fernando this season that can pull forward and get closer to some of the other cars. Because this is exactly what happened last season and it got boring at the front very quickly because we didn't get to see any of the action at the front. When Charles had slowly faded away from that championship battle and the Ferrari wasn't able to keep up with Max, we stopped seeing anything at the front because there was no longer a battle there to look at. And it's like I said, especially between teammates I want to see battles. The fact that the gaps are just so big between some of them. I mean. If Red Bull are going to have another runaway year, can we at least have Checo a little closer to the fight with Max instead of being 10 seconds off? Give us something a little bit more interesting at the front so the camera can actually pan there and we see something going on. I really hope that this is just the case for Bahrain though and that we might see everyone a little bit closer in the top six as the season continues. But... I've just got this gut feeling that it isn't going to happen. Looking elsewhere on the grid, Oscar had an absolute stinker on its F1 debut. 15 laps into the Grand Prix and he had to retire from the race. That is just absolutely gutting, let's be honest here. They brought him into the pits after he was having some issues, swapped over a steering wheel and it just wasn't fixing anything for him. I think Zach Brown had mentioned that it might be an electronics issue, but no one really wants to look back at their F1 debut and say, yeah, I raced 15 laps and that was it. It is just gutting for him though, especially since he hasn't been racing in 16 months, I think. There is a long time to wait to get back into a race car competitively and then to only run 15 laps. McLaren overall just had a bit of a bad day, let's be honest here. Lando ended up finishing in 17th. He pitted over five times, I think, which is just insane. But they needed to keep topping up the car with some air, so there was definitely an issue that he was carrying. Nothing terminal that he couldn't continue on with racing though, but he did need to keep making those pit stops. I mean, at this point, I feel they probably left him out there just to try and get some more data on the car. But wow, this was a nightmare start to the season for McLaren. They walked away from Bahrain with absolutely no points and one retired car. I don't think that was the way they wanted their season to start. It definitely wasn't, but to be that far away from the points as well. I don't know what McLaren are going to do to try and claw their way back up, but it is not looking good for them right now. Oscar wasn't the only driver to retire from the race though. We also had Charles and Esteban not seeing the checkered flag. Charles looked like he was running a pretty smooth race to be honest with you. 
was a match in the Red Bulls pace to be fair, but he was sitting pretty happy in P3 and with no problems. And then I see the camera slot back to his car, which we hadn't seen in a while, like I said. No action going up at the front, no need to look there. And then we heard some sounds that didn't sound the best. Then I see him slowly trundling to pull onto the side, before Sky played a very dejected Charles radio. My heart sank, guys. I hadn't heard any radios from him beforehand, where he was complaining about something that didn't feel quite right with the car. And like I'd mentioned before, they'd replaced parts of the PU as a precautionary measure. So, like an absolute fool, I didn't expect there to be a problem. From the sounds of it, there is an issue with the Ferrari engine. Surprise, surprise. There had been so much talk about Ferrari sorting out the reliability of their engines over winter break. And we get to the first race and it just gives up. The worst part for me was just how done Charles sounded. Not even angry, just like he almost expected this to be the case. I'm gonna hope so badly that this is just a one-off issue and we don't have this continuing throughout the season, but Charles had basically said he didn't even get any warnings about the engine wanting to fail. Nothing came up on his dashboard. I don't think he'd felt anything strange and then it had just given up. So we're gonna have to see how this goes, but considering these are new engines, you know, we're one race in, I don't think they're using the same engines from testing right now. This does not bode well for the prancing horse. And then we had Esteban. Poor, poor Esteban Ocon, who ended up being given a total of 15 seconds in penalties before retiring from the race. It just wasn't his day, let's be honest here. He was starting in 8th, which is a pretty strong start, but the problem started with him being out of position on the starting grid, so the FIA gave him a 5 second time penalty. He went into the pit lane, served that when he got his front wing changed, and then he was under investigation for not serving the time penalty correctly. Basically, when you're given a time penalty, it's either added to the end of the race if you haven't done a pit stop, or you serve it at your next pit stop. But if you are gonna serve it at a pit stop, then no one can work on your car. No tyre changes, no fans for the brakes, no one is allowed to touch your car in any way, shape or form. But by the looks of it, an Alpine mechanic touched Esteban's car just a little too early and it meant that the FIA gave him a 10 second time penalty. So he then went in to serve that. And when he went into the pit lane to serve that, they had found that he was speeding down the pit lane and gave him another five second time penalty. After getting that final time penalty though, the team did decide to retire the car. Now from what I've seen, I don't think there was anything wrong with the car, but I don't know if they just decided not to run the engine the full race distance when they knew they weren't going to get into the points. And Pierre was still racing, so they were getting data from him anyway. But honestly, this was such an unlucky day for Esteban, and I'm sure he's going to want to forget about this race pretty quickly. I know I would. He wasn't the only one getting penalties though. On his first race back after a little while away, Nico Hülkenberg seemed to forget about track limits. 
To be fair, the rule has changed a little bit since he's been off the grid and the FIA have basically done a blanket rule to say that on any track, if all four wheels are over the white line, then it's a track limit violation. But he'd gone over it three times and been given a warning. The fourth time he was given a five second time penalty and just for good measure, he then went over it a fifth time and the stewards gave him then a 10 second time penalty. To be fair to him though, I'm saying that he forgot about track limits, but it could be that the Haas just wasn't an easy car to handle that day. It's something I'm going to log into because we didn't really see much of them on the screen, so it might not be him and it could just be the handling of the Haas, but that was probably not the comeback that he was hoping for since he then finished in 15th. Mercedes had a bit of a stinker of a day as well, wasn't great for them. Toto Wolf is definitely not impressed with the car right now. Like Lewis said, they went from being the third fastest team to now the fourth as Aston Martin has pushed their way right up there. So there is a lot, a lot of work to be done there for them. Fifth and seventh are not bad places for Mercedes, but they really wanted to take a step forward this season and it just hasn't happened yet. For the driver of the day though, you guys had voted for Fernando Alonso, and I completely understand why. He had a pretty epic race, did some amazing overtakes and brought a trophy back to the Aston garage. Just a phenomenal race for both him and the team, but my driver of the day is going to the other Aston Martin driver, and that's Lance Stroll. Look, I don't think he really should have been driving this weekend, but... For a guy that had two broken wrists and a broken toe to come out in eighth, it's extremely impressive. And he managed to split the Mercedes cars at the end. George was not able to get past him. And that is why Lance Stroll is my driver of the day. I also have a nifty little spreadsheet that calculates my own driver power rankings. Now, I'm not saying that it's perfect and I'll probably tweak it as time goes on but it's just a way for me to sort of rank the drivers purely based on stats and none of my bias about drivers that I like or that I'm not the biggest fan of so it makes it a little bit easier. Basically it takes into account the places that drivers have gained or lost in the race, their quality sprint and race classification, a sprint where it's applicable obviously, and then the point share between them and their teammates, as well as where the team are in the constructors. So the higher the team are, the more they're penalised in this power ranking. So I'm not going to give you my full list of 20 drivers. I might post that over on my TikTok and my Insta, so head over to at stewards underscore office if you want to look at that. But the top three from the GP are Carlos, Alex and Valtteri. And at the bottom we have... Oscar, Esteban and Charles, so the three who DNF'd. I can't lie though, I am a huge, huge data nerd and I love doing things like this, so I'm gonna be keeping a track and then tallying the scores at the end of the season to see who comes out on top and I will update you guys after every race on who the top three are, who the bottom three are and then overall over the course of the season where people are starting to fall. And that is everything that I thought about the Bahrain Grand Prix. Not the most exciting start to the season, I can't lie, but I am hopeful that we'll see the field close up a bit more throughout the season. I really, really hope they do, guys, because I need a little bit more excitement on a race weekend. 
Let's see how it goes though guys. We've got a week break now before we head out to Saudi Arabia and I guess we'll also get a chance to see whether some cars are more track specific and also whether some cars are better all around us. So not too long to wait but let's wait and see what happens there. Thank you guys so much and Diolchen Vara for listening. Make sure you follow this podcast because next week I'm going to be talking about one of the biggest scandals in motorsport history. So, I'll see you guys the next time you're summoned to the steward's office.